Good morning. Today's reading is from Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles raise, rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We are in the second week of a four-week series called Making Christ Known. As I mentioned last Sunday, this is a bit different than how we typically preach God's word as a church family. Usually we work through a book of the Bible from beginning to end. But in preparation for our International Missions Weekend, Josh mentioned earlier, first weekend in March, we're, we're taking a number of Sundays to focus on different priorities in the mission of the gospel. And this morning, our attention is given to the priority of prayer. Lord, would you bless this preaching of your word? Thank you that we don't have to wake up in the morning and wonder why we are here. But you have told us why we are here. You have created and redeemed us to make you known, Jesus. And I pray today you would give us just a little bit more clarity, direction, focus, for how we fulfill that great and glorious purpose in very practical ways. Lord, do that. Amen. If somebody told you that they had found a way to lose weight without doing anything, would you be skeptical? (laughs) Says my CrossFit gym friend. Yeah. Yeah, what, what, if, what if somebody else told you that they had become an Olympic-level competitor in the snowboard halfpipe, and you've been watching that this week. It's been a lot of fun for me and my boys. That they had become that level of a competitor simply by watching YouTube videos. I think you'd be skeptical of that as well. And rightly so. N- neither one of those passed the sniff test so to speak. Losing weight doesn't happen automatically, and you do not become an Olympic-level snowboard halfpipe thing by watching YouTube videos. Uh, Usually, 
you want to lose weight, that is going to require some means. You typically, some combination of diet and exercise, right? If you want to become really good at the snowboard half pipe, uh, you have to not worry about breaking your neck, but that's another issue. (laughs) It still requires the use of means in, in the form of thousands of hours of practice. Friends, the same principle applies when it comes to the way the mission of the gospel advances on the earth. God uses means. It does not happen by by divine fiat. Yes, it's Jesus' work, God's work, in the sense that, what I mean by the mission of the gospel, that even right now in this place and all over the globe, King Jesus is working to draw sinful men and women like us out of the kingdom of darkness and bring us under his redemptive rule. He's doing that work, friends, and it is his work before it is our work. But that doesn't happen by divine fiat. God uses means, chief among them, the prayers of his people. Or the the privilege we have of calling on the name of the Lord, asking him to do what he has promised to do. And if if you read through the book of Acts, I'm we're kind of parachuting in to the middle, so to speak. But if, if you read through the whole book of Acts, there's an unmistakable pattern here. The kingdom of God advances as the church is faithful to pray. That's the pattern. Go read Acts this week if you don't believe my word for it, okay? The, the kingdom of God advances as the church is faithful to pray. That, that's the message of Acts 4, 23 through 31 in a particular way. It's a, it's a case study. It's an illustration, so to speak, of the priority of prayer. So let me just give you a little bit of background so we can understand what's going on here, okay? Previous chapter, Acts 3, what's happened? Well, Peter and John have just healed a 40-some-year-old guy who had been lame from birth. That's a long time to not be able to walk. And all kinds of people were watching. So a crowd gathers around and Peter uses that as an opportunity to preach the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, all he's done to accomplish salvation for mankind to everybody who showed up quickly. What's going on? This is crazy. And that didn't go over very well with the local religious leaders. Suffice it to say. So Acts 4.2, Luke tells us they were, listen, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. I'd argue greatly annoyed is perhaps a bit of an understatement (laughs) because they arrested Peter and John and hauled them before the authorities for a trial. And they quickly realized we can't punish these guys because all the people whose opinions we fear are rejoicing over this healing. They're going to start a riot if we take these guys out the way we did Jesus not that long ago. They can't punish them, so instead they try to threaten the men into silence. Acts 4.18, they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. 
That's the context. That's where verse 23 picks up. Look there in our passage. When they were released, threatened and released, they, Peter and John, went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. You you realize what they're doing. They, They don't isolate from community when life gets hard. Did you see that? They, they didn't try to be super apostles. They shared their struggle with their brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to as well. When we, when we meet opposition, when things get hard on the, on the road of faithfulness to King Jesus, doing what he's called us to do. And notice, as their friends here, instead of forming a mob or, or starting a gripe session, our culture seems increasingly good at both of those things, what do they do? They stop and they pray. They talk to God. Don't blow past that because it seems so simple. That's not our default human response when we encounter trouble in the course of following King Jesus. It's critical though, friends. Ask yourself, is that how you respond it's that characteristic of your response, whether you're testifying to the truth of the gospel as an employee at Capital One, or you're a missionary halfway across the world in, in Thailand, are, are you quick to pray? When, when you meet resistance, opposition from a, a coworker or a, a fellow student, or, or dare I say, a child in your home, as you're speaking the truth of Jesus to them. Do you stop and pray? The, the kind of prayer God uses, not just the next four, but today, to advance the mission of the gospel, has several characteristics. And we're briefly going to look at these, okay? Here's the first one. The kind of prayer God uses to advance the mission of, God, of the gospel then and now, one, is grounded in the sovereignty of God. It doesn't just exist in spiritual space. It's grounded in something. It's rooted in something. It it springs out of something. The sovereignty of God. Don't don't miss the way they address the Lord in verse 24. Look there. This is the first recorded prayer of the New Testament church. That's significant. And it's clearly informed by the character of the one to whom they are praying. It it begins by what? Exalting in the sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. There's no deism in that. Okay? There's no sense of a divine watchmaker who who gets it all started and then just kind of lets the world do its thing. Not at all. That The doctrine of creation and the doctrine of providence are going hand in hand here. That's where a Christian view of the world begins, friends, with the God who created all things and rules all things because he created all things. It's what gave them confidence to pray in the first place. That, that, that we're not just praying because it's cathartic. We're praying because 
you know, thoughts and prayers help people not be offended at you or, or praying because maybe there's someone out there who could do something. No, they are praying because there is a sovereign God in heaven who reigns. When we pray to the Lord, we're calling on the God who reigns. Heaven is his throne. The earth is his footstool. He's not, he's not part of a Greek or Roman pantheon of rivals who look all too human when we hear about them. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the King of kings. He has he sovereignly controlled the circumstances of your life from the millisecond you were conceived. And he has not stopped and he will never stop. He's the creator and he's the ruler. And some might say in response to that, I've heard this, Williams, then why pray at all? Right? If if that's so big and bad and true, and I'm clearly not in charge or in control, and I didn't make any of this, then why pray at all? Whatever will be, will be. To which I say, it's the fact that God is sovereign that gives me confidence to pray. Because that assures you, Christian, that that the God upon whom you call has the power and the ability and the strength to actually do something in response to your prayers. He has the power and ability to do whatever we ask in accordance with his will. And he, he mediates his sovereign authority. Don't miss this. Through the agency of his word. That the sovereign Lord who who made all things and rules all things is not a God who's silent. He's a God who speaks and governs what he created through the way he speaks. Look at verse 24. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. There's nothing left, by the way. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said... Who's doing the saying? The sovereign Lord, right? Said what? By the Holy Spirit. Then he quotes Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage? And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. What, What does our sovereign Lord say? What's he saying? In Psalm 2, he's saying, friends, that the the opposition we experience on the path of faithfulness to King Jesus, the, the mission of making him known, the resistance we meet in the course of doing that is not a sign of his failure to rule or evidence that he's losing his grip on the world. To the contrary, all of that opposition and resistance is a fulfillment of the word of God. That's what he's saying. The resistance they're experiencing, Psalm 2 reminds them of this, it vindicates the truth of God's promises. What's happening to them in Acts 4 is exactly what God said would happen to them. It's what God the Father, God the Son, and and all who associate with them have been experiencing from wicked, evil men since the very beginning. And I think we do well to linger on this, the way way their prayer is grounded in the sovereignty of God, because 
whenever we encounter hardship, the path of obedience to Jesus, it's, it's really easy, really easy, easy for me to just be consumed with, with what we're feeling, you know? Or what other people are doing or not doing to you. That's easy. Our, our attention becomes confined to what's happening to us. How painful it is. That, that is a deadly trap, friends. That's a deadly trap. We, we need to process our experiences through the lens of Scripture. We, we have to learn, like, like these believers were in Acts 4, going back to Psalm 2, we have to learn how to see our situation from God's perspective. That, that's what the word of God does for us. It, it becomes the glasses through which the lens we pick up to look through to see what is real about everything in our lives. And as the disciples own the words of Psalm 2, so to speak, allowing a sovereign God, the words of a sovereign God to frame their understanding of reality, their prayer is shaped in several ways, okay? So, so think of these as characteristics of a prayer that is grounded in the sovereignty of God, all right? First, it's conversant in the language of lament. It's conversant, fluent in the language of lament. But what's the very first word of Psalm 2? Why? Why, Lord? Why what? Why are all these people, people who ought to love your son and defend those who do, why are they attacking us? Why is this four-year-old resisting my loving parental authority? Why, Lord? Why are they threatening us? It's, it's not supposed to be this way, Father. You're, you're our creator. You're our redeemer. You're good and wise and abounding in steadfast love. We don't understand. We have so many questions. More questions than answers. But our, but our eyes are on you, God. We're looking to you. You're, you're the one we need, especially when life hurts. It's, it's conversant language of lament. You will not have pray like that if your prayer is not grounded in the sovereignty of God. Here's another quality of that kind of prayer. It acknowledges, second, the true nature of the battle. Notice this. This is really important. Okay, Neither David, author of Psalm 2, human author, or the people of God in general are referenced in the portion of Psalm 2 that is being quoted in Acts 4. It's all about opposition to the Lord and his anointed, or literally, the Christ. That's not accidental. Okay? That the disciples recognize, so important, that the religious authorities opposing them are ultimately what? They are raging, plotting, setting, and gathering against God himself. They see that because scripture, not just their emotions, has become the lens through which they perceive and look at their world. Determine what's true. 
Sure, they're threatening Peter and John, but, but what's really going on here? These, they're really taking up arms against the Almighty. When you stand up for the truth about God in your class, students, and you are mocked for that, they are not ultimately mocking you. They are mocking him. When you speak the truth in love to your wayward child and you get a torrent of anger in response, they are not ultimately fighting you. They are fighting him. When you offer to pray for a neighbor, even when you have no clue whether they're religious or not, and you get a quizzical, absolutely not, they are not ultimately resisting you. They are resisting him. That doesn't necessarily lessen the pain of our suffering. But it will keep you oriented in the battle. And it will help you not be surprised when you too encounter resistance on the path of faithfulness to God's mission. Finally, final characteristic of a prayer grounded in the sovereignty of God, it rests in the ultimate triumph of Christ. It rests there. The the disciples don't finish Psalm 2. They just quote the first part, pray the first part, own the first part. But it's very clear from the way they interpret Psalm 2 in verses 27 to 28 that they know exactly how Psalm 2 ends and where it goes. So turn to Psalm 2 for a quick second because I want to read part of this to us. The disciples say in Acts 4, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. And then then here's the key phrase. What do they know all these enemies of God are doing, but besides fulfilling everything God said they would do in Psalm 2, Verse 28, Acts 4, they are doing whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Yes, they're raging. Yes, they're plotting. Yes, they're doing their very best to threaten us into silence, frighten us into silence. But but this we know, Lord, because you are sovereign, because you reign, because you work all things together according to the perfect counsel of your will, the wicked actions, actions of men included, this we know, their opposition is in vain, and in the end you win. Psalm 2, verse 4, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion. What what is Zion? It's the city of the people of God. We are not kingless, friends. We're not defenseless. We're not hoping the heavenly special ops team shows up right before It's all over. Yahweh has set King Jesus on Zion, his holy hill. He's not going anywhere. So what's that mean for his enemies? Those who resist and oppose him. 
and hate his people for it. Verse 9, you, King Jesus, shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Brothers and sisters, when we, when we pray like that, not with self-righteous arrogance, but God-fearing humility. Wait, when, our, when our prayers in response to suffering are, are grounded like that, in the sovereign word of the living God, we will find rest in knowing that even the actions of wicked men can't escape the secret will of God. We can rest in that. That the chief priests and elders were doing exactly what they wanted to do, right? No puppets here. And yet, at the same time, it was what? It was exactly what God planned for them to do. Same time. Listen. Whole nother sermon, but here's the sketch. God never does evil. God is never morally responsible for evil. And yet, in a way we cannot fully understand, he he doesn't just allow evil or cope with evil, he actually ordains evil. And he rules over evil. If he doesn't, if he didn't, then he's not Sovereign. And when we get hot and bothered about that, we need to remember that's exactly the story of the gospel. That what men intended for evil, let's take out the Son of God. God intended for good. And therein lies our hope as the people of God, friends. That's what gives us confidence to pray, even when it feels like the kingdom of God, whether that's in Thailand or in the four walls of your home, is just being assaulted on every side. That's the confidence you have. There's a sovereign God who reigns right now. Kind of prayer he uses to advance the mission of the gospel, grounded in the sovereign word of God. That was the longest point. We're going to move on the next two. (laughs) So I want you to hear from Fred. Here's the second mark, okay? The kind of prayer God uses to advance the mission of the gospel, it's focused on the word of Christ. Back to Acts 4, verses 29 and 30. It's focused on the word of Christ. You could argue this point is rather obvious. Maybe some of you are thinking that. Um, I would understand if you are. Okay, Matthew, are you saying that, that if the mission of the gospel is all about the good news of Jesus, that the kind of prayer God uses to advance the mission of the gospel is also all about Jesus? Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. And I say that because here's the real challenge. I think many of the requests that we bring to the Lord are often focused on all kinds of other things. Think about this. If if you were the disciples and you had just had your life threatened by the people that just killed the Son of God, 
what would be at the top of your prayer list? Instinctively. I'll give you the top of mine, okay? Lord, deliver my life. (laughs) Right? I've got kids. I've got a wife I love. Would, Would that be a wrong thing to pray? No. But here's the catch. Protect my physical life was not at the top of their list. Well, what was? Look at verse 29. There are countless good things they could have prayed for, asked their friends to pray for. I mean, Peter and John were influential leaders in the church, right? They could have prayed for, a, for wisdom in a succession plan if these guys get taken out. They, they could have prayed for a, a counseling strategy for the thousands of people who just started following Jesus a few weeks ago and now watch their leaders get arrested. Lots of good things they could have prayed for, but, but there's one thing they focused on. One thing they focused on, and it had nothing to do with physical safety, contingency planning, or trauma recovery. As, as not denigrating those things, right? But something else of infinitely greater was at the top of their list. Verse 29, and now Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Their their suffering did not prompt them to pray self-centered or enemy-centered kinds of prayers. There was a radical Christ-centeredness to their prayers. Because their chief desire, where where did that come from? It, It came from the fact that their chief desire was not for their own comfort, but for the furtherance of the gospel through the faithfulness of their witness. Our greatest concern isn't for ourselves, Lord. It's it's for your cause. It's for your mission. It's, It's for your work of salvation accomplished through the proclamation of your word. So Lord, make us bold. That's what we want. Make us fearless. Give us a holy courage that, that isn't constantly taking the temperature of what people think and is faithful to say what's true. Not, not the truth of the Republican Party or the truth of politically conservative thought. The truth of the word of God, friends. The word of Christ, that there is no other name given among men by by which we may be saved. And as you do that, Lord, authenticate your word, they prayed, by working miracles in our midst. Do that too, God. Heal the sick, rescue the perishing, bring back the lost, bind up the wounded, humble the proud, raise up the downtrodden, deliver the addicted, convince those who do not know you in my family, in Bolivia, in Namibia, in Thailand, that there is a God who reigns and he is to be feared. What? Here's the question, really. What comes pouring out of your heart? When you start praying, what just comes pouring out? Your personal troubles or the cause of Christ? A a longing 
for the gospel to advance through the faithfulness of your witness and the demonstration of God's power that King Jesus might be exalted. I am not saying it's wrong to pray for other concerns. Don't tell me I said that. <laughs> not saying that. I'm saying many of our prayers and my prayers are often far too small and far too self-centered. That's what I am saying. I'm saying that my desire for the Lord to lessen my suffering is often far greater than my desire for King Jesus to be exalted through my suffering. That's the temptation, right? And it's really helpful in the face of that temptation to recognize that they called themselves the Lord's servants. Or more literally in verse 29, slaves. They're using, what's that say? That, that, the, that the early church was using prayer to advance God's mission, not their own. Christ was the one they were seeking to honor and please. And the work of a slave of Christ primarily consists, don't miss this, of speaking the word of Christ. We, we don't come up with the words. We speak his words. We're, we're ambassadors. We're messengers. That the need of the hour is not how to give a snappy answer to every conceivable question that might come your way, but rather to have holy courage that doesn't equate sensitivity with silence. Biblical boldness is strikingly different from the spirit of our age, where the highest value is what? Whatever you do and say, don't ever offend somebody. We must not excuse a lack of love or frankly, just being a jerk <laughs> as I'm being bold. Well, maybe you're not. Maybe you're just being a jerk. <laughs> maybe you're just not being loving. But, but listen, if, if we always wait for other people to cross the spiritual conversation barrier or consistently give ourselves a pass by, by saying, well, you know, I should, I, I should probably build some more relationship with them before I say anything about Jesus. And like three years later, you're still saying, I should probably build more relationship with it, right? I mean, been there? I have. If that's the pattern, then perhaps, friends, we've exchanged a spirit of boldness for the good old fear of man. The kind of prayer God uses to advance the mission of the gospel is focused on the saving word of Christ and boldly so. Here's the final mark. Very briefly. The kind of prayer God uses to advance the mission of the gospel, verse 31, Acts 4, it's answered through the power of the Spirit. I love this. <laughs> Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What is that shout, friends? That when you pray, God hears and when you pray, God answers. That's what that says. God moves. Your, your prayers 
for the sake of the kingdom of God, even though you might feel this night after night, morning after morning, they never vanish into thin spiritual air. The God in heaven hears. And your prayers cause things to happen in the spiritual and the physical realm that if you had not prayed, would not happen. That is not a check on God's sovereignty. That is how the sovereign God has ordained to get stuff done. He uses means. So what happened when the disciples prayed? I wish I had been there for this. Though I don't know, because I might have run out of the building. (laughs) An earthquake happened. God provided tangible, physical proof. By the way, far better for an earthquake than the earth to open up. (laughs) Tangible proof that the Lord of hosts was in their midst. That all the physical things they could see and the physical people threatening them were not the only real things in the room. The Lord of hosts was here. He was on the scene. And he blessed them with a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Not the awkward uncle of the Trinity. (laughs) The person of the living God himself. Fully God. Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit that takes all the blessings and fruits, and privileges, and graces, King Jesus won for us at the cross, and applies them to your life. That's what he does, including a spirit of courage, spirit of boldness, fear of the Lord. And and if you've read Acts before, you might wonder, wait a minute here, Matthew, I, I thought back in Acts 2, good thinking, that these guys were already filled with the Spirit. So, did they leak? Like, why, sorry, why, why, why do they need to be filled again? Well, don't get this wrong, okay? The moment you become a Christian, you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. God himself takes up residence in you, Christian. And when I say become a Christian, I don't mean you showed up to church. I mean you turned away from your sin and you turned toward trusting and obeying King Jesus. When that happens, you become a temple of the living God. But the Lord tells us in Ephesians 5.18 to keep on being filled with the Spirit. To to labor in prayer that we would what? What does that mean? To keep on being filled with the Spirit. To, To come more fully under his influence, under his rule, and under his power. We need more and more and more of that. Do we not? Every day. And that's exactly what happens in verse 31. The disciples pray for boldness and the Lord answers their prayer in a powerful way by filling them with a greater measure of the Spirit. What a sweet gift the Holy Spirit is, friends. What a sweet gift. We do not have what it takes within ourselves to be bold. If you hear me talking about other Christians praying for boldness and you think, I don't have a lick of that, do not fear. Don't think, well, then I clearly am not called to this speaking the word of Christ thing. 
you are pastor. <laughs> Do it for me. I'll pay you. No, <laughs> no. You think, you think my job's any easier? Friends, we're all weak. I'm just as insufficient as you are. What we all need is to be filled with the Holy Spirit that we might speak the word of Christ with boldness. And that is what we need to pray for, church. Because where the Spirit is present, Christ will be exalted, evangelism will thrive, and the church will grow. I love the report Luke provides a few verses later. Look at Acts 4.33. We'll end with this. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Now notice the church isn't growing because all these Christians were strong. Or all these Christians were so wise. Or all their pastors never made mistakes. No, the church grew because the Holy Spirit empowered them to not stop sharing the good news of Jesus and to do it with boldness. Even in the face of opposition. Friends, God uses means when it comes to making Christ known. And one of the chief means he uses is the prayers of the church the prayers of his people. We, we can give millions of dollars. We can go to all sorts of places and say all kinds of things. But if we are not a people who pray, everything we do will always be in vain. Without fail. Don't buy into the notion that prayer is the icing on the mission's cake. It is the cake. <laughs> okay? It's a decent way to summarize Acts 4. Prayer is not the icing on the mission's cake. It is the cake. It is the work. And when it's grounded in the sovereignty of God and focused on the word of Christ and answered by the power of the spirit, look out. That's the means God uses to advance his mission. And one of the qualities I so appreciate about the man you're about to hear from, Fred Windelmeyer, is that he is a man and Fred and Don are a couple who prays. It's been what guys, 18 months since you were last in Nissan. I think it would be really easy to feel like I can't do missions. I've been sidelined for 18 months. But that's treating prayer like the icing, right? I want you to hear how the Lord's taught Fred that it's the cake. Come on up, buddy. We love you. Could we welcome Fred to the stage?